Welcome to After Hours with me, Rick Cogan, on this rainy, rainy, rainy Sunday. I have sitting in front of me two uh, books. One is titled The Book of Nature. It is written by Barb Mahaney, subtitled The Astonishing Beauty of God's First Sacred Text. The other is Who is This City For?, written by Blair Kamen, Architecture, Equity, and the Public Realm in Chicago. These are two of the best books I can remember reading, and I read a lot of books, because in a fashion, they both are about the world in which I live and in which you live, the natural world, which I must tell you, Barbara Mahaney, I don't appreciate as much as I do after reading your book. I'm like, wait a minute, it's raining. And when it started today, I go to the chapter about rain in here, and I'm like, yeah, okay, wait a minute, this is good. And Blair Kamen, who was Pulitzer Prize-winning architecture critic for the Chicago Tribune for uh, roughly 30 years? 28. 20 years. Uh, it addresses... Uh, many things that he wrote about in the paper but it also updates it and gives his take how are you guys it's great to see you it's It's great great to to see you it's great to be with (laughs) one of our favorite newsroom pals it's great to be here now since there are no newsrooms now we're like like radio no we can all become radio studio pals uh blair the seat of this book when did you when did you decide to collect I decided to do it um, shortly after I left um, in early, um, what was it, uh, 2021. Yeah. Um, I had done two collections previously. Right, right, right. And so I thought it would be good to do a third. Each of the collections is about a decade. So it's kind of my own little architectural trilogy, Rick. Um, there are no lord of the you know architectural rings here there's no frodo there's no gandalf but i just thought it would be a good way to kind of uh, you do have one of the great descriptions whether you used this before and i missed it but you wrote about a certain fiasco that is chicago's renovated soldier field as klingon meets parthenon klingon Uh, meets parthenon that is as good as good as it gets yeah you know every once in a while you know mahaney on the other hand you know just you know pearls every oh, i'm gonna read some, of, some of her stuff too <laughs> thanks uh you you decided to to update i mean you you updated many of the things in here yeah uh, yeah did it make you miss being an architectural critic because i think you make a point in the book too that it's really kind of a tragedy that the tribune no longer has an architectural critic yeah um well um I mean, I I thought it was important to update the columns and to show like how the stories played out. So you know, for example, how um, um, you know the Trump sign saga turned out with Rahm Emanuel passing an ordinance, uh, getting the city council to pass an ordinance to prevent fiascos like that in the future. Um, but did it make me want to be a daily newspaper architecture critic again? Honestly, Rick, um, I was I was kind of relieved not to have the uh, the grind, uh, you know. Uh, well, and the every const- day, every day, right? also the constant phone calls and the constant complaints yeah. sometimes on the phone. Yeah. In the book, you have a a <laughs> this fascinating note from Donald Trump. You write it's a the caption is a cheery note from Trump. His glad handing didn't last. Talk to me about your relationship, please, with the former president of the I, United I States. I got to know him when he was just a, you know, New York developer and a reality TV, and a TV star. And a reality TV star who was uh, really eager to talk to me because he wanted to publicize his upcoming tower and sell units. So, I mean, I got to know his flattery, his charm, his cunning, his 
his two-faced quality and a lot of the things that would characterize his his presidency. It's frightening to me, frightening, truly frightening to know that this guy, mm. this nutball from New York, Donnie Bankrupt, as I once referred to him on Twitter, was the most powerful person in the world. He, Crazy. He, he became unhappy with you, did he not? He did. After, uh, I mean, he once wrote, Blair, you're the best, and a note to me after I said, you know, his tower was looking pretty good. And then after uh, I criticized the sign on his tower, he went on the Today Show and called me a third-rate architecture critic and uh, said he had heard that in a bit of classic bit of Trump's sleaze, he had heard that I had been fired from my job. And actually, that Mahaney saw that interview with Matt Lauer on the Today Show while I was sleeping or something and then proceeded to Honey, honey, did you get fired? Yeah, honey, wake up. Did you get fired? Uh Barb, being married to a uh, a reporter slash critic uh, is not an easy thing. I have been told from people who really? have been my mate. Really? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, uh-huh. yes. Uh, you were one of the most talented uh, feature writers that I have ever encountered. I was your boss for a very, very short time. You're very nice. For a very short time. What is this? This is not your first book, but what is nope. the seed of the book of nature? It is seeded by a rabbi, yes? Yes, it is seeded by a rabbi, which is just a great beginning. Um, so I was, I guess, 10 years ago. I was. There's this great, great rabbi, Rabbi Rami Shapiro, who... Um, at the time, had a radio show because it was pre-podcast. And I was on his radio show, How to Be a Holy Rascal, talking about my first book, Slowing Time, mm-hmm. which came out in 2014. And we're just deep in a conversation, and he said in an offhanded sort of way, he just said, um, Slowing Time reads like Midrash to the Book of Nature. And I was like, whoa, cool. I'm a lifelong Irish Catholic. Nobody has ever called my writing Midrash, but I am there for Midrash, which is rabbinic commentary. Um, So I was taken by that. I was stymied by this. Like, I could tell the way he said, the Book of Nature, that this was like capital letters. This was a thing. And how could I have grown up in the woods? How could I have grown up sloshing in a creek? How could I have grown up with a mom who took more home movies of the birds than her children? How could I not know this book of nature? So I got off the phone, phone interview, and did what any curious person does these days. I Googled Google. book of nature. And sure enough, it was this ancient theology subscribed to by Eastern and Western religions, by the Celts, by the ancient Israelites, um, by plenty of people still today. But somehow it has been, had been, cobwebbed from contemporary consciousness to a large degree and i just find it endlessly fascinating well the book is is i find the book endlessly fascinating but also terribly inspiring and i have to think you do too blair we have to take a a break we have many breaks but you're going to be here for an hour and a half a sort of unprecedented length of time on the kogan (laughs) show so please stay tuned we'll come back and talk to blair cayman and barbara main you're going to hear me read a lot of uh excerpts from Blair's book Who is the City For and from Barb Mahaney's book The Book of Nature uh, because they're both great writers here in Blair's book he writes this 
The bean does not reflect the reality of a very different Chicago. That Chicago, though not without distinguished buildings and untapped economic potential, is also a place of weed-strewn vacant lots, empty storefronts, and unceasing gun violence. Indeed, Cloudgate, other than, a.k.a. the bean, may be the ultimate shiny, distracting object. And then he asks, is this a good city or a just city? Absolutely not. I could not agree more. And and you do a wonderful point of proving that in the book. There are many things, Blair, you love about this city. There's no question about it. Maybe not Trump Tower so much. And maybe not what's happened to the 606 trail. But do you have hope for this city? Absolutely. I mean, the, the the whole idea of being a critic is to love your subject, but to have a demanding love. In other words, you want it to be the best it can be. And the standards in Chicago architecture and urban planning are incredibly high. Yeah. yeah. So those are the th- you know there are st- uh, when you're a critic here you you measure new um, new buildings new landscapes by this you know a higher standard than you do in other cities. And what's interesting, Rick, is that in the last decade or so, but really throughout my entire career as the Tribune's architecture critic, it was always important to me to include not just aesthetic judgments of buildings, exactly. but also yeah. how buildings affected the life of the city and the life of its people. And so that's why in this book, Who Is the City For?, there's this theme of the tale of two cities. Because if you just looked at the Bean and the downtown, you know, you would say, wow, wow this is fantastic. That's, yeah. the, that's the view that the NASCAR audience on TV is getting, other than a lot of clouds and rain. And, and where are the cars? Where are those cars? Yeah. Where are those cars? But in other words, you know, there is this whole other city, and this certainly became an important theme under Lori Lightfoot and, and now under Brandon Johnson. Um, so in other words, th- that's the point of the book. You know, it's to it's to look at whether – We've constructed a city and are constructing one that is good for all of Chicago, a city that works for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Not just the, the privileged elite who live downtown. Well, that's, that's why the book is not just a great read. That's why the book is an important, I really believe, an important Thanks. document. Thanks. And I wish, maybe I will put this on Brandon Johnson's desk. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Barb Mahaney, you write in here at one point. At heart, this this is in your in your the book of nature. At heart, this is a book of wonder. As you read, though, you might consider how wonder so often entails lament, an aching for what we might lose even before it's lost. It's a spiritual reading meant to heighten our seeing, our belief that nothing less than the sacred is at stake. Talk to me, one of my favorite chapters in the book, and they're not really chapters, I, I don't know what to call them, uh, is about rain. And, uh, because it's so elemental, the life stuff of our very existence, a celestial surge that fills our rivers and waters, our crops, rinses away the deterus, bays all the woods and the sidewalks as well. It's been the subject of intense preoccupation and prognostication for a long, long time, ever since ago. When you 
marshaled your research, how did you deal with being able to marshal it to the point where you could write like that? Do you know what I mean? You do. I, I mean, you research and you have notes and you got notes and so-and-so said this and so-and-so said this. and But these thoughts are yours in here. You're, you are not... My thoughts are interspersed with... So... This book became wonderfully so. Um, I think I started it around the beginning of COVID. So there wasn't a whole lot to do except read. So it, it became very, very much for me an exercise in reading. And I just used the wonderful opportunity of COVID to read everyone under the sun. And as I, I refer to it in the book, is this rabbit hole school of reading. So I would read a, I would read a wonderful writer who would cite other you know, writers whose shoulders they had stood on. And then I would go read the person they referred to. So I read and read and read. And I tend to be a little bit, um, maybe a little bit OCD. I don't know what it is. I'm I'm, I'm a crazy, um, my pre-writing exercises are pretty crazy and laborious. So that by the time I've finished, I, I would read books and I always read with a pen. Yep, I read with a pen. And then I would finish the book, and I would go sit down in front of the computer. I would transcribe everything I had recorded, written, whatever. And then I make these lists. I call through. I I sifted this giant catalog um, into various subject areas. Then I would call through those lists and pull out the best stuff. And then I would have all this best stuff sitting in front of me for whatever was the subject, say, rain. Yeah. And um, and then I. I, I would just sort of absorb it. I'd spent so much time mm. with it, I would absorb it. And when I sat down to write, it just sort of gushed forth to use a What about the two of you, 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 you live with one another. We do. Who are people you each respect and love one another. How do you share your work with one another, or do you not? Yeah, I think of someone like you know John Gregory Dunn and Joan Didion, a, a wonderful writing married couple, who would sit at the same at a same two sides of the same desk and write. How do you share? Do you, does Blair come home uh, and you say, "God, look what I just read. I'm going to try to put this in a book," or does Blair come home? Did he come home? Still does come home and say, "I saw the most fascinating new building." I'm going to think and say this about it. How is that? I know it's not a collaboration, no. but it's certainly a relationship, a writing relationship. Absolutely. How would you characterize a writing relationship you have? Well, I mean, in many ways, it's a it's a relationship that has a shared project, but is um, carried out in very opposite ways. Mm-hmm. For example, um, Mahaney is what we call, I mean, despite her, once she gets, sits down at the keyboard, she is what we in journalism call a speeder. She writes fast, and usually the first draft is like really, really good. I, on the other hand, am a bleeder. So it's kind of like, you know, you yeah, take right. a little prick and the blood just kind of gradually comes out slowly and painfully. Um we edit each other. We will edit each other's stuff. I mean, I I am very good at structure. My forte, I should say, is structure and organization. And so I will, you know, read Barb's drafts and help to kind of shape the bones of them. Mm-hmm. I am in no nowhere near her as a writer, as a poet, okay. poetic. No, I just don't get her, her 
never get to the level of her poetic expression. And she'll read my stuff, and the structure is usually pretty good, and say, you know, can you jazz this up there's a little no bit? There's no poetry Cayman? in here, yeah, Blair. There's no, <laughs> there's no, there's can no you get some more of that Klingon meets Parthenon kind of line in here, Cayman? It's, uh, it's kind of dry. It's kind of dry. Uh, so, you know, but we have, I mean, it's fun. We... Um, <clears throat> We refer to our children not as our sons, but as our double bylines. Double bylines. And uh, we don't Rare really live... double bylines. Yes. We don't live in a house. We live in a book production factory. Um, so it's, you know, it's, 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 it's cool. And we have to respect each other's kind of creative process of, you know, slogging through the, all the reading or slogging through the ideas and... Right. Yeah, I don't think I don't. We don't engage with each other in the process. We just leave ourselves alone for that part. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always with some trepidation that I bring my work to Blair because I know I know it's going to get a really a really thorough. But thorough the, the bones are going to be but the also, bones are going to be readjusted. Perhaps but the charming thing is it's thorough but loving. It's it's thor- it's thorough but loving, and it's 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 better. But when I get it back, it's better. I don't. I don't show them everything. But you know, if I'm, if it's a really important element, I I right. know to go to Blair. Was this a hard book for you to write, Barb? No, it was. It was. It was. It was not. It was not. I loved. I loved because I find the structure of it is is to my mind fascinating. I'm looking at Blair as if he said, "Yes, that's my editing." Did <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't. No, 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 no. No, I mean the no. magic. The magic of the book is. Um, and I've talked about this, and you'll totally get it. You know, in journalism, what we do when we want to tell a story is we go find the best sources, the people who yep. know the the whatever story we're trying to tell, the people who know it the best, who know it the deepest, who know it with the, the richest detail. So instead of turning to live sources, I read 200 books, and Whoa. I read through the centuries, through the millennia. Well, the bibliography, and, which is in the back of the book, uh, you don't, ladies and gentlemen, really need it after you've read the book, but it's a nice thing to have there, to my mind. Yeah. I think the book on it says, the book, to my mind, stands on its own as a magnificent achievement. And it's great when your sources are dead, because they, yeah. Yeah, they can't do anything. They can't call you. Say, you're wrong about what you, Why'd you quote me in there? It's really good. Uh, I'm talking for the next hour with uh, Blair Kamen and Barbara Mahaney about their books. You'll get the news now, and we'll carry on. I know many of you like to uh, you know, ride boats and have uh, people say, hey, there's a building there that someone else built. Uh, if you love Chicago or re- and really want to know Chicago, you need to buy who is the city for uh, architecture, equity, and the public realm. It is a serious book, but it is also an incredible amount of uh, fun. I hope Blair came and you take that with all <laughs> the respect and uh, admiration I have to say. Thank you. you talk in the book about... Uh, you know, the city, the buildings, the good, bad, and the ugly. You like the Apple store. Yeah, I do. Why? Uh, it's an incredibly transparent um, presence along the riverfront. Um, I know some people think it looks like a giant uh, MacBook. Uh, but uh, 
I, I think it really is not an architectural branding exercise. It's uh, just got this incredible transparency that allows you to see through the building mm-hmm. um, to the river. And also it makes a connection to the river no question. that didn't exist before. And, and you like the river walk, too. I do. I mean, one of the, one of the themes that runs through the book is the um, – um, the kind of uh, reuse of industrial mm-hmm. spaces, formerly industrial spaces, and that 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 goes from um, um, you know the Riverwalk, which was like essentially a bunch of loading docks oh, yeah. in the past, into a beautiful public space. It also includes, uh, in a kind of twist, the 606 Trail, and that was an effort, like New York's High Line or Paris's Promenade Plante. To turn an old, uh, out-of-use freight line into uh, a green space, much-needed green space. But in classic Blair Cayman fashion, you have trouble, as yeah. I did too, with 606. And yeah. I don't know if, if I sensed the trouble before I read you sensing the trouble. And I went, God, that's right. Uh, uh, of it, of, of uh, And I hate the word, uh, gentrification. Well, it was un- unintended consequences. Exactly. In other words, here was this, you know, we're going to give the northwest side some much needed open space fantastic and what happens this you know beautiful linear park by michael van valkenberg goes Mm -hmm. in and the real estate developers swoop in uh knock down affordable you know two and three flats with affordable housing they put up million dollar homes and very expensive condos and all of a sudden the very people who the 606 was supposed to help are marching marching on the 606 saying don't you know, don't, do this. don't screw us over do, with your you beautiful parkland. Do you feel the same uh, possible problem or um, brewing or uh, with the Obama Center? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's an look, the 606 is a kind of warning shot to everybody in public life that, you know, um, this better not happen again. Right. And, but people who live, uh, you know, in the adjacent neighborhoods like Woodlawn are already saying, you know, rents are going up. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the city the city has an opportunity now because there is a lot of vacant land uh, west of the Obama Center to try to encourage affordable housing to be built so people aren't displaced. Yeah. But, look, it, Rick, the reality is that some displacement is likely to occur. Um, and it's, it's this is part of the complexity of city building yeah. it is not a checker it's not a checkers game it's a three-dimensional chess game and yeah. if you don't anticipate the consequences of one move that you make as we saw in the 606 people are going to get hammered yeah as it's a really result. it's the strum and drong of it all and, yeah you know every architect in this city it should read uh, Barb Mahaney's book. This is the great companion <laughs> thing here. I'm dead serious. The book of nature. Because, again, I'm, Barb is such a lovely writer. You write in a chapter, I think it's about woods. Nowadays, the woods are where I go to get lost. Not lost in a geographical way, but lost as in a way from hard geometry of street grid suburbia where numbers and signs insist on pinpointing us. The paths in my woods resist the linear, celebrate the circuitous. Every once in a while, as Rebecca Solnit, another one of my favorite writers, once wrote, we need to get lost. Mm. Elaborate for me, Barb, would you? Uh, I mean, I, I write... That, that, that chapter is beyond stunning. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, 
I mean, it just, there are all these spiritual practices that we don't think of as spiritual practices. And in this day and age in which we're so, you know, my God, everywhere we go, there's a little a little dot following us around. You can't get lost unless you throw your phone away, which I do sometimes. Um, so the 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 theological I, I i take it to a theological point which is that um to get lost is to teach yourself to become uncomfortable to become comfortable mm-hmm. in the uncertain in those liminal edges of our lives where we're stepping into the unknown and if you're in if you're considering the sacred the divine the question of is there a god is there not a god where how is god inhabiting my life getting comfortable with not having answers not having proof getting lost is an important spiritual practice and so because it does it does it spark human i gotta believe it sparks some kind of human growth or a greater understanding of the world around you or am I just being hopelessly optimistic because no, I just no, finished absolutely. the book? I mean, I'm like, remember, yeah, I'm going for a Remember walk. when we were little kids and we would sometimes get lost? And mm. and I would get lost because I grew up playing in the woods. I would sometimes get a little <laughs> bit lost, disoriented in the woods. And that wonderful frisson of fear, like, oh, my God, am I going to get out of here? And digging down deep into yourself and realizing you have what it takes to find your way out of this labyrinth you're lost in, um, I think, is an important practice. One of the things I think that's um, fascinating to compare the two books is Barb writes about nature. I often write about constructed nature. Yes. So, in other words, like, you know, Grand Park is, you know, uh, and much of the lakefront is completely made up nature. It's landfill that was dumped into the lake. Um, but the the very things Barb is talking about, great architects and landscape architects like Jeannie Gang and the Nature Boardwalk and Lincoln Park, do. In other words, you know, it's not uh, the the great architect in the sky. It's um, it's a it's a it's a it's a person. Um, but in other words, you know, the idea of getting lost on a boardwalk in the the you know the beautiful. Uh, you know, um, meadow-like landscape of of Lincoln Park. And um, those are things that make, you know, the nature boardwalk in Lincoln Park such an attractive feature, as well as its ecological benefits. Do you you both think it's also possible to experience that? You talk about, Barb, wandering the city. Absolutely. Not just, you know, the river walk, but wandering in the heart of the loop. I have ever found... Because I I do that I do that often I'm not going anywhere I just decide to take a walk and take this turn and that turn without any specific destination. Don't you think that's possible too? I think espe- I think it's especially possible um, when you see the cliff like front of Michigan Avenue, and then you see the vast expanse yeah, yeah, of the yeah, lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in other words, we have you know constructed nature. We have the canyon of LaSalle Street, the cliff along Michigan Avenue. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I swim in the lake a lot, and there's nothing like being in that vast expanse of water and sky. I mean, that's where, you know, 
where again you go back to Barb. Did you have something about? Uh, do, you, do you have a? You don't have a, about something about swimming in the lake in the book, but I, I mean, don't. Ha- no, no I don't, that's you. She's saving that. She's saving that for your biography. Yeah, that's your, you get to she's do saving that, that for the biography. We'll be back. We'll continue on with these two. Right, I, right, I, right, this, right. I love the, the gentle rain, the thrashing storm is also a great chapter in here. Uh, with Blair Kamen and Barb Mahaney, look up their names and look up their books and then buy the books. I'm not a big fan of clicking on something online to get a book, but you should do it. I hope you, the listener, are having a, as interesting and fine and enlightening a time as I have talking to Barbara Mahaney about her book, The Book of Nature, and Blair Kamen about his latest book, Who is the City For?, uh, I know you don't have them coming up, but but boy, if you're a librarian or a bookstore owner out there, these two would be delightful to have in your store talking about this very thing. Or you know, you could, just reading from your books would be uh, uh, a joyful afternoon at some bookstore. You write in here, Barb. The weaving and writing of this book has been, as much as anything, an adventure in deep reading across centuries and subjects. You brought that up uh, a little while ago. What was your great revelation? What did you find that you said, oh, my God, I wish I'd read this when I was Hmm. 21? Pretty much every one of the 200 books. Really? That's good. I think so. That's good. I think so. Now, and... You, Blair, we have now in this town, Blair Kamen was the Pulitzer Prize-winning architecture critic for the Chicago Tribune for 20-some years. Uh, you collaborate, in a sense, with, uh, with Lee Bay. I taught at Columbia College for one, whatever they call them, semester. It was a horrifying experience for me because it was a reviews and criticism course, and everyone in there... I said, why are you guys doing this? And they're all like, we want to be like that Ebert and what's his name on the TV. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. One of those students was Lee. Oh, really? And he was a very smart, bright guy. Oh, wow. He not only has, and he's a good photographer because many of his photos uh, pepper Blair's book, Who is the City For?, uh, and he is writing, you're pleased that he's writing an architecture column for the Chicago Sun-Times. I am. Um, we were competitors in the 1990s mm-hmm. when he was the Sun-Times architecture critic and I was his <coughs> counterpart at the Tribune. We spurred each other on in that great Chicago tradition of, uh, you know, who can scoop the other sure. and who can get the better story. And so um, he he did other things, including being, you know, Mayor Daly's uh, Deputy Chief of, of Staff, I believe, for Architecture and Design. Um, and then he went back to the Sun-Times as an editorial writer. And after I left the Tribune, the Sun-Times noticed that there was a vacuum. Yeah. And yeah. so Lee, they they have partly filled it. Lee has been writing a monthly architecture <clears throat> column. Not enough to my mind. But yeah. it's something. Yeah, but it's, it's something. something. And, and he's writing unsigned editorials that are clearly Lee Bay's work. <laughs> and in this book, um, he is the main photographer. And I really insisted that the publisher of the University of Chicago Press use coded paper to... Yeah, it's a beautiful... Both books are beautifully produced, yours especially because it has photos. Yeah, I mean, and, and so I wanted Lee's photos to really be showcased and pop off the page. Uh, and they do. 
um, he's um, you know he, he's taken some wonderful shots in the book and in in keeping with the theme of the book that architecture and urban design are ultimately to be judged by their effect on people mm-hmm. uh, Lee includes many of the shots with people in them it, it does not look like a new the city does not look like a neutron bomb went off right exactly and you know it's a an architect's uh, delight of you know my building my building only he always you know was very careful about shooting with um with with people in them the, the one exception of course was he was shooting the trump sign and a lot of people were flipping the bird at that and he, yeah. couldn't, he couldn't put that in the book but otherwise there's a lot of people blair's in the book. favorite way to stand in front of that building i'll just say we're not on the radio or anything are yeah, we no no no, no no uh barb one of the people you come across in the book and a quote is i was uh, not flabbergasted to encounter him but uh H.A. Ray, who gave the world Curious George. How is he in your book? How is he in that book? Um, so when my boys were growing up, I frequented, frequented needs to be underscored, um, this marvelous little children's book and toy store called Sweet Pea. And the proprietress, proprietress of Sweet Pea um, just had this broad and deep imagination and especially in her book selling and so there were all these esoteric books and one of the books was h.a ray who gave us curious george all the curious georges wrote a guide to the stars Mm. brilliant 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 he realized back in the 1950s i think it's 1951 you've got the book in your hand i think it's 1951 anyway He realized that he was fascinated with the stars and realized that these constellations with their Greek names with many, many vowels, Cassiopeia and blah, 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 was a little bit hard for a little child to wrap their, a child or a remedial star reader like me to wrap their head around. So he reworked it as both an illustrator and a writer. Um, He reworked the constellations so that he um he made this circus in the sky he's got you know there's there's a lion there's bears there's snakes there's twins there's all these things that are really uh, really easy to see for a child and so um so if you read the sky as h.a ray taught us to read um you can you can maybe get to the beginner level so i happen to have this book on my children's bookshelves and i pulled it off and i read it to read the stars 1952 1952 1952. please 1952 year after i was born uh i and but that's a book i would love to go to to h.a ray grab on it's a great book we all used to work in tribune tower this is true. You like, Blair, in your book, you have some very nice words for the original architects of that yeah. building. Yeah. You like the building. I love the building. Because you work there or because for other reasons? Oh, it's a beautiful building. It's, it's grand. It's ambitious. It's eccentric, reflecting the personality of none other than <laughs> Colonel Robert, Robert McCormick, McCormick, who who had programs on this very station indeed um and you know what i mean it's weird to walk in there and now it's a luxury condo Mm -hmm. building 
um, super expensive units, very do, fancy. I, I have to ask it to you. Do, you. do you know anybody who, who lives there? No. No. Yeah, neither do no. I. I don't no. think there's one no. former Tribune. <laughs> no. Oh, certainly no former Tribune unless they had a little trust fund we didn't know about. Uh, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and they probably, you know, they're not, well, maybe some of the cockroaches are still there. That were in the news. Because <laughs> there were plenty of them. <laughs> were, there were, would, they were there caged were pets of now. Uh, that would be it. But, I mean, the important thing is that the building is still there. Not mm-hmm. only is the tower still there, but the WGN radio building right, and the right. WGN TV building. Those are the little buildings to the to the north to the north of the tower, and also the old printing plant with the with a new, ironically, a new Chicago Tribune sign right next to an I think an outdoor lap pool. Yeah, it now is. that like tells you how things have changed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there were no outdoor lap pools when no, we were there. No no, 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 no. But it's a great building, and I'm I'm glad it's still there. Well, there was also something about a building and a building being important. I don't know if I felt important going oh, yeah. in there, oh. but going in, you would think. Well, this is the the whole. It's like going to church. It's a cathedral. Well, of course. Well, the well the lobby was church like, and yeah. and you know the joke was that you, uh, you know, you approach the security desk and ask for communion. Um, <laughs> it was this soaring cathedral like space. It was called the Hall of Inscriptions. Mm-hmm. Still is called that, and it it had travertine marble walls, and in it were inscribed, you know, the First Amendment. And many other tributes to, especially to freedom of the press. So it really, ele- you know, even if you never stopped and looked at those quotations, right, right, right. you realize that you were stepping into a building where something really important, important. Was, was going happening. on. Something noble. Yeah, something noble. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, we were we were really lucky. We are so blessed to have walked through those portals yeah. and through that lobby and yes, into that because, co- uh, cockroach-infested newsroom. Yes, that because I will <laughs> say where we work now at Freedom Center, which is soon to vanish uh, yeah. for a casino. You've seen renderings of the casino. I have, I have seen renderings of the casino. And I mean, look, it's uh, a casino. Well, yeah. it can, I mean, you know, first of all, Freedom Center. It can't be worse than Freedom Center. Freedom Center <laughs> is essentially like a. Uh, you know, a brick fortress yeah, uh, yeah. built when the river, there was no, con- the river was like an industrial sewer oh, when Freedom no, Center no was question. built. It, it doesn't engage the river. Uh, Lee has had some uh, uh, pointed words yes. about the architecture of the uh, both the uh, casino and the, uh, the river walk alongside of it. Um, you know, the key again is who is the city for? If you're going to build a casino, uh, be sure that, like, you know, the Riverwalk is accessible to the public. It mm-hmm. isn't just like an extension of the gaming for, tables. For sunbathing for people who've lost all their money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah, Beautiful. Yeah. They lost well their said. clothes. Yeah. They lost their money. Well they're said. just like, yeah, naked. People just pouring drinks down, <laughs> and debating whether to commit suicide yeah. or not <laughs> commit suicide. There you go. <gasps> Jump we're, in the river. We're going to, in an unprecedented fashion, continue on with uh, Blur Cayman. The book title is Who is the City For? Question mark with photos by Lee Bay. And Barb Mahaney's book, uh, The Book of Nature. We'll talk a little bit more about the books and we'll talk about their lives and uh, the kids, the twin bylines of which they're very proud. After the news.
Welcome back. I have a uh, 20 minutes left with Blair Kamen and Barb Mahaney there, the John Gregory Dunn and Joan Didion oh, yeah. of uh, oh, man. modern times. Uh, <laughs> except Blair does not drink like uh, John Gregory Dunn did. <laughs> Thank God, or he wouldn't be sitting here. Uh, a couple lines from your book, Barb, I want to read and just have you respond. Uh, God comes in a thousand guises. Elaborate. Respond to God comes in a thousand guises. God comes, as I write in one of the paragraphs there, mine is the God of sunrise and sunset. Mine mm-hmm. is the God of birdsong. God comes to me in the quietest of ways. God comes sometimes crashing and booming. I never know when God is going to come, but I might be kneeling in my garden, pondering some deep, hard question. And something will unfold before me that feels as if um, the hand of God is touching me God, on the back lovely. of my neck that's or lovely. on my forehead. Mark Strand, who was a poet uh, who looked like a movie star to my mind, uh, he's a Pulitzer Prize winner, as is Blair Kamen. Uh, he said this, you quote him in the book, and I love this too, we're only here for a short while. And I think it's such a lucky accident, having been born, that we're almost obliged to pay attention. Mm. That is a lot. That is one of the major themes, I think, of your book. Is it not paying attention? Pay attention. I'm paying a particular attention. It's a that that is perhaps the deepest spiritual practice. And Blair talked about, you know, he's seeing too. But all these sages and prophets and mystics who I quote in the book are teaching us to see, like, what's around us. We really are only here for a bracketed short time. Exactly. And it's ours to inhale, absorb, to just drink in, imbibe um, at the deepest possible level. I think that is what Blair's book is about, too. Would you agree, or do you want to? Should we argue about that? No, let's not argue. Okay, well, I'm not sure we've ever argued. I'm sure we've ever argued, but that is that too is, you know, it's very easy in the city to just, you know, not to keep your eyes on the ground and to not look up and to not see the city world around you, which is in its way a different sort of nature. Absolutely. I mean, it's just like. That's the that's the dilemma of our time. Everything about the digital age is luring us into an anesthesia, an anesthetized version of living. And to to be wholly alive is to look beyond the obvious, whether it's in the woods or on well, it's a to bustling look up from your phone. Exactly. For sake. I mean that too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, to look up from your phone. I, I think that in Oh, Blair, I'm just looking at a page here. I'm so glad you like Lake Point Tower. That's that's a real, you know, when I think of what this city was like when I was a kid, and the, the one building between Michigan Avenue and the lake for a long time was the Prudential Building, and now there are a million of them, and Lake Point Tower you like. Well, Lake Point Tower I like and hate in a way because it's the most beautiful object with that kind of, incredibly curvaceous three-pronged design that really you know hits a home run on its showcase site east of the drive and yet uh it's um 
a building that really violated the idea that the lakefront should be free from um, commercial use. And um, so I'm glad it's a singular building, and I really hope it stays that way. Um, I mean, you know, it's funny about the remark about, um, you know, we're only here for a short time, um, so we should pay attention to nature. Buildings last. Uh, exactly. You know, and, good, yeah, yeah, and yeah, their legacy yeah. lasts for, for generations, and for better and for worse. And again, this goes back to the theme of the book, Who is the City For? You know, so much of the struggle of the South and the West Sides of Chicago is a result of basically racist policies sure. in part um, that are decades old, centuries old. And that have to do with, you know, much broader forces like deindustrialization, uh, you know, no more. It's hard to have a, a thriving urban middle class when you don't have the factories that supported yeah. that yeah. urban middle class. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, th- but both books really in a way are about seeing beyond the surface. In other words, I mean, I deal with aesthetics, and I'm happy that you know, I'm proud that I do. Is it a beautiful building? Does it sure, enrich? Sure. Is it? Is it? Does it uplift our spirits? Does it uh, improve the public realm, the streets we share, the sidewalks we share, the parks we share? Um, but it's also, again, about you know, what kind of city does it make, and what kind of opportunities do these constructed works create? For, you know, the kid who's living in Austin yeah. or Englewood or, or Roseland. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, as well as as well as, you know, downtown. And um you know, that's why it's um it's interesting to compare and contrast different mayors, you know, Rahm Emanuel's pretty downtown centric approach. No question. Um with Lori Lightfoot's um, you know, more neighborhood aspirations yeah Yeah. and we don't know yet how that story is going to end exactly Um, well i think uh we got to take one more break and i want to talk and this uh fantastic fabulous conversation and you might want to read i'm going to use this as a as a means to get in the tribune and write a story about these two amazing books and to steal from this conversation but i you know I, i i want you to think about for the last segment of this thing this I think given given some of the problems with Chicago now and with major cities now and some of the problems with the world now, mm-hmm. 190 yeah. degrees in Dallas or exactly. whatever it is, whether how do we begin to not disregard this planet oh. and this environment? Yeah. We'll be back on that cheery note uh, in a couple minutes. I read Barbara Mahaney's The Book of Nature, and I think uh, irresistibly of the uh, wildfires that have uh, scarred the United States and there must be havoc in Canada. Uh, I read Blair's Who is This City For? And I think, because he mentions it in here, of Lincoln Yards. And he writes, what kind of city are we building? Who is it for? Does it have room for the small and the granular? as well as the muscular and the monumental, the poor, working class, and middle class, as well as the rich. These questions have simmered as Chicago allows high-rises to expand far beyond the historic confines of the loop. 
Lincoln Yards brings them to full boil. It, it is still a wait and see with that thing. I've seen what these places look like, and I just I wait to see what they eventually build. It's a disregard, I think, for... I mean, I think some of what's happening in Canada and with climate change is a disregard for the climate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean... Well, a central idea of my book is of the book of nature is that you know the sacred the divine is animating all of creation and the idea that i wanted to really bring forth is this idea um that if you if 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 we can begin to see all of creation as not just a pretty thing or a beautiful thing but rather a a, a place of encounter with the sacred then that puts a real urgency to the question yeah. of yeah. we're not just bulldozing the meadow we're not just burning the forest we're we're beyond the incomprehensible loss to all of the plant life and the creatures who live in those woods we're cutting off for ourselves a really vital um avenue between ourselves and the sacred yeah. the divine I call it God. Wow. Um, so well, higher that's being, I, you call it nature. I mean, you can call it nature, too. That I is an idea that um, animates my book. And and it's one that animates yours, too, uh, Blair. I mean, if, if Lincoln Yards turns out to be what Lincoln Yards looks like it's about to be, I think that... that it causes a a fissure in the city of Chicago. Yeah, it does, and it's about um, you know when we design public spaces, there they have to be more than just um, ways for developers to persuade the city hall uh, that they can build a ton of profitable square footage. Yeah. They have to yeah. be welcoming to you know people from all walks of life. Um, and this really is a, a point in the book about equity. In other words, equity is often thought of as um, helping the disadvantaged areas of the city that have traditionally been overlooked. Um, I see equity in a broader term using the financial meaning of the word. I think of it as, the, as, as addressing the public spaces that we share. Mm-hmm. So that's parks. That's the lakefront. That's, um, you know, all these things that are kind of um, that help draw us together as human beings. And um, that's I think that's essential to the book, because that when you look at equity in that sense, equity isn't just about helping the South and the West sides. Exactly. It's good for ideally for everybody. Yeah. Uh, Everybody benefits from it. Um, this was something that Lee and I both wrote about a lot when, when you know, with the issue of the um, extending the red line south of 95th Street. Um, on the far south side down there, there's no rapid transit. I know. There's better transit access in Wilmette, uh, Skokie, uh, Oak Park mm-hmm. than you have on the far south side. It's crazy. It is crazy. Um, but the idea of that extension was to broaden the benefits of rapid transit so a person living in Roseland could get downtown or to school faster who didn't have to spend you know, an extra 30 minutes just 
going from point taking, A to point taking B. Taking different buses, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's more than and, 30 minutes, and, right? Uh, and, and I, you know, and the, the transit stations like the one at 95th Street can dignify um, the movement of people through, you know, everyday transit space. These aren't mean little, you know, shacks. Um, they're they're serious works of architecture that dignify um, the act of using transit in the same way that we were talking about how we felt dignified by the walking Tribune walking lobby. in the Tribune Tower. Yeah. Let me ask the two of you. I know you live in Met, and and are you troubled by, as I am, uh, by what has sort of happened to? Let's take a look at LaSalle Street. They're now thinking, well, we'll turn this into residential stuff. The the pandemic has changed, altered. It's like turn the knobs on so much on living and on everything virtually. Are you, you remain hopeful? Do you think there is 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 uh, light at the end of whatever this tunnel is? Because like, you keep hearing, well, you'll hear an idea like, yeah, well, we'll change the South Street. I don't know if it's Lori's or Brandon's, or let's change the South Street into like uh, you know apartments. And I'm like. Okay, that's an interesting idea, but the whole dynamic has changed, and it changes nat- changes the nature right. of this city. Uh, crime too comes into it too. What what are your thoughts on that? You are two of the smartest people I know, and sense most sensitive people I know. I think that clearly the um, we're in a new um, era with yeah. new realities. <laughs> post-COVID. However, cities have faced in the past pandemics, great fires, Fires. uh, all kinds of things, and they've managed to, over time, reinvent themselves and recover uh, and thrive. Mm -hmm. That's why I think the LaSalle Street program is actually very smart, because um, making downtown more residential and more and having a lot of affordable apartments in those new buildings on LaSalle Street is good for the city. It, it again, it goes back to that theme of equity that it isn't just, you know, equity isn't just out there in like Englewood and right, Austin. Right, right. It, it's downtown too. It's mm. giving, you know, lots of different people the person who works behind the counter, not just the CEO in the C-suite. Uh, an opportunity to live downtown. So I'm hopeful, but it's going to take time for the downtown to be reimagined and revitalized. There's, that's the reality that many downtowns are, are facing today. And, you know, I understand why a lot of people don't want to uh, do a, an hour-long commute one way. Sure. Uh, but on the other hand, I think they're missing out. In, in uh, they're missing out with the camaraderie of their workplaces, the chance to be you know to learn from their um, you know to learn about their, the businesses where they work, and they're missing about they're missing the um, just the vitality of what makes Chicago such a fascinating place. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't get that online. Yeah, uh, no, you, you sure don't. You sure don't, Barbara. What about? What about people being removed? And I was interesting. My thought of everybody I know looking at phones while they're doing anything. Uh, how do we pull people back? How does one pull back to nature? It, it, you need a conscious effort to say, "I'm going to go out and look at the sky." Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and 
I made a point in the book of, I think at one point my editor had said, oh, and you can travel to the mountains and you can travel to the desert and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm not much of a traveler. But the point being that um, there are ways to encounter this vast, overwhelmingly beautiful um, world, world all, all of creation and nature. Um, whether I'm taking you know, the trash out at night and I just pause long enough yep. to yep. look up at the stars, you can get. That that wonderful sense of um, of our smallness against the vastness of the universe, um, taking the trash out, or you can be sitting on your fire escape and there might be a bird's nest in some little nook and cranny of you know the eaves of some building, yeah. and there's ways to encounter, but you got to put the phone down. Can I just uh, yes. add one thing? Uh, Mies van der Rohe said it best. God is in the details. <laughs> and there are a lot of details out there. It is, I cannot even describe what a joy it is to see the two of you. And I will try in print to describe what a joy it is to read these two books. Uh, Blair Kamen's book is Who is the City For? with photos by the only student who ever got anything out of any class I ever <laughs> taught. That would be Lee Bay. Go Lee! And, and, and it, it wasn't a photography class, believe me. And uh, Barb Mahaney's latest book is The Book of Nature, The Astonishing Beauty of God's uh, First Sacred Text. You read these books back to better, together, you will be entertained, you will be enlightened, and you will be filled with hope. I'll talk to John Ruane after the news about uh, whatever he's written about. <laughs> I've read his book. Uh, thank you, Blair. Thank you, Barb. It's great to see you. Thank, thank you, you, Rick Hogan, so much, Rick. a Chicago legend. <laughs>